Alright everyone, welcome to episode 18 of Beers, Business, and Balls. Tuesday, August 18th, as always, presented by Anchor. The easiest way to make a podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. And new as of this week, brought to you in part by Dugout Creative, a clothing brand poking fun at the zeitgeist. Dugout Creative is the newest entry to the concept merchandise market. For the best new baseball jerseys, shirts, and hats on the market, go to dugoutcreative.com. And use the code BBBPOD for 15% off your purchase. That's dugoutcreative.com. Seriously, guys, dope merch, uh, very cool hats and stuff. And it's the concept uh, of kind of just playing off the franchises and whatnot. Episode 18, Jake Zimmer and Will Tano. Boy, oh boy, folks, have I been canceled on Twitter. <laughs> I've been canceled as shit. By Yankees Twitter. And I'm, I'm rattled. I'll be honest with you. I'm a little rattled. Um, for those of our loyal blog followers, you read my Gary Sanchez piece. You know how I feel about him. Yankees Twitter did not like it at all. And I made the mistake of posting an article late last night. I was up all night fielding mentions and shit. Ugh. I, I'm in... I'm in a fun spot. I, I, I've never been canceled before on anything. This is fun. So it was funny to watch. I mean, uh, blog number two. So you definitely <laughs> uh, got chewed out for that one. I'll tell you that. But all press is good press. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about it before. I mean, Yankees Twitter, I guess we're a part of it. But there's a lot of people that just have thousands of followers with no credentials. Um, but it's all fun and games. I mean, it was a well-written blog. Gary Sanchez, I mean, we'll talk about that more in balls, and we'll leave it at that. Gary Sanchez needs to step his shit up. He does. I don't even think – we don't even need to talk about it too much in balls. Like, Gary Sanchez is not living up to par. He's hitting 130-something. The Yankees catcher, for those of you that don't know. And here I am just documenting, like, you know, everyone's bitching about him. Should we consider – or should Yankee fans consider if something goes bad with him – you know, should they consider uh, dumping him? Should they consider cutting him or trading him or something? And I landed on no. But they didn't read the article. <laughs> Yankees Twitter chewed my ass out. This is fun, though. This is fun. I, I earned some respect from some of the bigger followers. Um, really cool guest today and Matt Wilson. He is the co-founder of Under 30 Experiences. We talk about his new book, The Millennial Travel Guidebook. It's available on Amazon. Um, I think it's for 99 cents, but I don't know. The hardcover is a little bit more expensive, but uh, it was a good conversation we had with him. Let's get right into it with a cheers as we go into the first segment. Yes, so we are. Yes, so we are cheersing. What are we going to cheers to? Uh, I mean, we'll just cheers to, I guess, Jake Zimmer's demise on Twitter. <laughs> uh, we'll cheers to Yankees Twitter. And we'll Fuck Yankees Twitter. <laughs> and we'll, shit to them. we'll cheers to some good Providence beer because we stopped at a beer that's familiar to us, but we actually haven't had many. We stopped at Beer on Earth down in Providence uh, this past weekend. They have a lot of great stuff, and we were fortunate to pretty much try what was offered on their limited menu. Obviously, with COVID going on, they didn't have a lot to offer, but the beer that I drank that I really enjoyed was actually a collab from... You guessed it, one of our favorites, Long Live. The beer was called Living on Earth. It's uh, an Imperial double IPA, and that is a collab with Beer on Earth and uh, Long Live. A little pun on the name. And the second the, the uh, bartender brought it out, and I saw that oh, smooth, bold color, and I'm like, okay, like obviously it's a Long Live. It's going to compete. And boy, it, it did. I gave it a four or five. Um, it was just such a smooth beer. It had a lot of flavor, um, definitely on the heavier side compared to, you know, most summer beers that we've been talking about, but they did it again and I'm wicked happy that I tried it and had it. We actually picked up a four back from them. So long live does it again. I don't think I tasted that one, but it looked, when you got it, it came out of the, they brought in the clear cup, and it's one of those that's just yellow and gold almost at that point. It, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful looking beer, so I, I might dip into the cans later on tonight. Um, 
I will take a beer on Earth selection as well. I did Orange Belt. It was a New England IPA, very, uh, very hazy. It was more orange than that bright feel. Um, a New England IPA, it was a great summer beer. It wasn't even a great summer day that we were sitting outside, but it, it was prime summer beer, citra hops. It tasted like orange juice. Uh, give me a 4.25 out of 5. It was a great beer. Uh, I, I had had beer on Earth. I think, as you mentioned, only a couple of times just in passing. That was the first time we went there. It was small. Um, not a whole lot of seating outside, but it is what it is. I, I enjoyed their beer, and I think another Rhode Island brewery does it again. This is very good for the state. I'm just going to say it. Very good for the economy. Um, and transitioning into the economy now as we are done with beers. Well, you know, we, we'll back up. We bottled our beers this week. You saw them on Instagram. We're getting a lot of love in the DMs, which is nice. Uh, we've got a German alt beer and a seltzer, which is very fun. Seltzer's going to be done soon. We, we dumped a little lime and lemon into it, so whatever happens, happens with that. So, that'll be good. Um, Will Tondo creativity with the, the labels once again, folks. You did it again, you bastard. <laughs> I try my best. Let's hop into the economy. Uh, business. S&P 500, uh, they say, will close at an all-time high at some point this week. It came very close last week. Uh, a bunch of consumer data come out or came out, this is courtesy of Robinhood, and suggested that the market has returned to its spending at pre-COVID levels for the first time since you know, February or March. And then they also say... Um, they make the counterpoint that it could be difficult to sustain because the unemployment benefits are drying up and all this stuff. And I, I don't know. This is a weird one because people are finding themselves in a scenario with a lot of capital, to be honest with you. They don't necessarily have employment and consistent stream of income, but people are spending money. I think it's a combination of a few things, probably just people getting sick of staying inside this whole time um, in the summer winding down. So S&P is going to be interesting to follow as we move along these weeks. This podcast is very positive and very uplifting. The problem I have with this, and I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but we had this conversation before. I cannot grasp my head around this money because yeah. it is, it's not real money. We're printing dollars and we're providing dollars to everybody. And we have to, because we have to build back the economy and we have to, you know, boost up everyone's spending and make sure businesses survive. But it's fake money. It there's fake no, money. there's no fiscal, like tangible thing backing up the dollars that are being printed and the checks that are being sent. I'm not against it because obviously the economy needs to be, you know, brought back up to speed, and you know, consumers need to have money to spend, and the world goes round and everyone's happy. But we're going to be paying for this forever. Yeah, forever. This is bad. Taxes are going to be high. Our grandkids are going to. You know, college tuition is going to be up the roof for them already, but add this along? I, I don't know. So, but we'll move along. Uh, another big piece in the news in the business world is Fortnite starting a war with Apple and Google. Um, they took a 30% cut off um, in the app purchases. So that's what they lost 30% of their revenue from Right, to clarify, that's, that's, Apple, that's Apple and Google. Every time that Fortnite... Had a download. Right, they, no, so they get an in-app purchase. Correct. Yeah, so that, then they're taking the 30% cut on there. So obviously Fortnite got, you know, really pissed off and they said, you know what, fuck it. They were taking it, they took, they decided that it would make its own payment system so it wasn't going to be subjected to any of the fees that Apple's and Google uh, provided. So then, you know what, Apple and Google got, got pissed off as well and they, you know, said, fuck it, Fortnite, you're off. Um, but Epic Games counters with a massive lawsuit. I saw the video that Fortnite created, and for those of you just who know, you know, cinematic uh, television and movies and commercials and stuff, they took a spin off of the 1984 uh, book that they had a commercial, and it was like a bunch of people just brainwashed on the screen. Was it 1984? Yeah, and the uh, person on the screen was just a giant Apple head, you know, referencing Apple, and then. And it was all in black and white, and then the, the Fortnite characters in color came out, and it just like broke down the screen and said, like, we'll be not subjected, subjected <laughs> to this. So it's going to be hung up in court for a while, but it's definitely something to keep out. Uh, obviously, Fortnite took um, 
had its highs and lows, especially when you know they started updating the game and so many users and obviously people started becoming very, very professional. And then Call of Duty came in and other, um, Apex was another game that stirred up the market. So but Fortnite was still the majority uh, stakeholder in that demographic of you know the first person shooter games and that battle royale scene. So we'll definitely have to check it out. Yeah, I don't know. Fortnite is way too valuable for them to get too pushy on. You can't run them off the market because think about how much money they're going to lose. They're they're already losing money because Fortnite got pissed. They they wouldn't work with Fortnite according to Epic Games to work something out. So thirty percent they're saying is too high. So the demand's not going away. No, anytime soon, and the in-app purchases are just getting more expensive at this point. So I mean, you got to keep your eyes out for this. You, you really do because. How the court rules here is going to determine a lot of stuff. Like if they say that Apple and Google are getting are fucking over Fortnite, and that's going to be that's going to piss a lot of people off. That's going to piss off the modern warfare people. It's going to really every viral game. It's going to make them real bad. And I don't know if games can afford it right now. To be honest with you, no, no. And Apple and Google, I mean, it's so I, obviously everything's a business, and they you know want to retain some more profits as well. Um, but I honestly think like someone just had a, a stick for Epic Games and Fortnite because yeah, you just you don't you don't want to lose a a platform like that. No. And Apple and Apple and Google always already make so much revenue anyway. But you know someone had in mind that they wanted that additional thirty percent and said fuck it. But, yeah. So. Gaming is on the table. Keep your eyes out for Apple and Google stock to see how they're negatively impacted. We just talked about Apple last week or the, year, the week before. I don't even know anymore. But um, Apple had record sales. So we're going to have to see if now their war with gaming affects any of that. Um, for the stock of the week, before we get into balls real quick, and then we'll go into Matt Wilson's interview, uh, we're talking Royal Caribbean. As far as the performance of last week goes, they had 18% surge uh, towards the end of last week. They say it was a quote-unquote remarkable demand for 2021 cruises. People are taking cruises now. They are, they want to, anyway. So, are we going to see this stable out? Are we going to see this come back down after... I feel like it depends on what happens in these next few months. And it definitely is fitting that we have Matt Wilson on who talks about uh, the travel industry now and for years to come. And one thing that he brought up, which many people already know, is like the U.S. passport is essentially useless. Mm -hmm. But there are two places or two areas rather that United States citizens can still travel to. They can travel to Mexico and they can travel to... um, any of the islands. So you have the Dominican Republic, you have obviously Puerto Rico is a um, a U.S. uh, entity, you have the Bahamas, you have Barbados, Virgin Islands, so they can still do that. So obviously if people have, again, we talked about this additional capital and we have people who have just been stuck inside for months on end, they will be paying whatever the cost is to hop on a cruise. Yeah. So it is interesting that Royal Caribbean up Royal Caribbean is so high up. They're trading around sixty dollars. Uh, symbol RCL. Um, all the other cruise companies are kind of steady. You know, I'm I'm just looking right now. Norwegian Cruise Line. Um, they're at like fifteen and a half, which is like very significantly low. But we maybe it's time to buy. Maybe if Royal Caribbean is saying that stuff, then maybe maybe people hop into Norwegian or something like that. Yeah. Or carnival. Um, those are things to consider. So for that reason, that's Royal Caribbean is going to be the stock of the week in the retrospective sense of you know they, they did well last week, and it's something that you should probably look for. We we've always talked about the tourism, the hospitality, and when it's going to recover. It will. We don't know how it will recover, but if it starts at piss poor in the bottom of the bucket, then it it might be worth it if you got some money laying around that you need to invest. I think it's the bottom line. Um, that's it for business. Let's go to balls. Couple of things. We're, we're talking baseball, hockey, and NFL. We already had our Yankees discussion at the beginning, but in a different lens, the Yankees are cooking right now. They're undefeated at home, nine and zero in the last nine against the Red Sox, which is another wild statistic. So now the discussion becomes, you know, 
or the Yankees the best team in the league. Like it's it's down to the Yankees, the Dodgers, and the Cubs that are the clear front runners. I think for the title at the end of the year. There's some other teams in the mix, right? Because I mean, it's, it's you what can't it is. sleep on the Rays. You can't sleep on the Rockies. I can't believe uh, I'm saying this, but you can't sleep on the Orioles. Right? Yeah, they're, they're it's a wild card spot. But in, in the lens of the rivalry, the Oakland A's. Yeah, the A's, are, the A's are the lead leader, I think it was. Yeah. But Yanks Sox rivalry for however you know it, it, the existence of the franchises. We've talked about how piss poor the Red Sox rotation is. Are, is the rivalry dead when they can't feel the competitive team? The rivalry will never be dead. Um, you know, whatever happens this season, I mean, you're just going to chalk it up to a weird season to begin with. Um, but from a pure baseball standpoint, it's embarrassing what the Red Sox are doing. Like, when the Yankees series was announced, um, the rotations rather, the pitching rotation for the Red Sox was TBD, Ovaldi, TBD, and TBD. And the game was, like, that series, that, that, that stuff was announced on a Thursday, and the game was Friday, Saturday, yeah. Sunday, and Monday. It's like, you guys can't even get together your pitching staff 24 hours before? It's, bad. it's, it's so bad for baseball. It's so bad. I mean, rivalry, the, the teams will always have rivalry because at the end of the day, like, you know, it just... You look at the Red Sox, be like, I want to kick the shit out of them. The Yankees and the Red Sox look at the Yankees, be like, I want to kick the shit out of them. You're always going to have that, no matter what the players are. But one interesting aspect of the Red Sox is you're going to see people who have never experienced the Yankees rivalry because they're going to go into a massive implode. Um, There's already talks on Sunday Night Baseball. You have two guys on the Red Sox, three guys rather, who are probably going to be on the trade block. Uh, JD Martinez has an opt out. At the end of the season, so he could just be for a contender that needs, you know, a, a big bat. Jackie Bradley Jr. is kind of like the odd man out when, in a rebuild, and you know he could be on the friendly contract. They talk about him for years. And then another guy who they just signed in a one-year deal, Kevin Pillar. Yeah, who he can make an impact on a contender as well. For now, like the Sox, the, the, and Aaron made a good point about this last night. It's more of the like opportunities for the young guys now because it's. Right now, it's just a matter of who belongs there. Like, who is going to prove to management that, like, hey, I should be a part of the solution and not part of the problem. So, it sucks to see the Red Sox not fielding a competitive team because they are not. This team sucks. They, they really suck, and it's embarrassing. They but, suck, but they have, like, you know, I, I make this team kind of a comparison to the Miami Marlins, where way back when the Miami Marlins, you know, never made the playoffs and never did shit, but they had an outfield of... Stanton, Yellick, yeah, um, Acuna, they had um, I mean, Azuna, um, they had Diedrich also on the bench as their fourth outfielder, they had D. Gordon, they had obviously phenomenal, like, um, phenomenal pitcher in Fernandez, they, they had JT Riamuto, you know, they had a lot of pieces, but they could just never put together. The Red Sox have pieces too, I mean... Obviously, you lose Mookie Betts, and that's huge. But next year, you know, you, you're going to bring back Chris Sale. You don't know how he's going to perform or not. But you still have Xander Bogarts, who's probably at least a top 10 shortstop in the league. Um, Rafael Devers and Chavis are good young players to build upon. We mentioned Jackie Bradley Jr. Ben Attendee's hurt right now, but Ben Attendee's still a decent bat as well. Uh, the Red Sox have those potentials. It'll be up to their ownership and their leadership to be like, can we add people or do we have to restart? Yeah. Because they have no farm system. No, they don't. They, they trade everyone. <laughs> well, if the Red Sox, I think right now they, they come in fifth, in this, if not the worst team in the MLB this year, which sucks, but you know, the Red Sox will be fine in the coming years, I think. Uh, this, this is just a bad year for them, is the bottom line. Transitioning to hockey now, We've already got some surprises. We're, we're in the round robin. We're, we're past the round robin stage, and now it's kind of more elongated playoffs. Um, a couple of things. We'll start with Tuukka Rask, the Boston Bruins goalie. He opts out of the year. He cites family concerns. Um, and here's the deal with Tuukka. Do whatever you want to do. Do whatever is going to make your family and you know you healthy and safe, right? 
Um, it looks a little weird when you play five games and you back out. That's all I'm saying. Now, I don't want to believe that he's just kind of quitting and giving up on the year, but it doesn't look good for him. That's all I'm going to really say. I offer no further perspective on what is going on in his life, but ultimately you got to take care of yourself. But at what, at what can you clear the public perception? It just puts, it's, it's very interesting because, like you mentioned, he already played a few games. And, you know, family obviously comes first. And there had to have been some wake-up call to be like, you know what? Like, this is just not right. Or some things that we don't know. Yeah. I hope it's something, you know, more personal than on a team aspect. Because, like, if, you know, he's one of the most highly touted goalies in the league. And, like, a big figure and on the, on the team itself. So to have them lose him for opting out, that, that puts a major hole. Yeah. Um, so I have to see. I mean, they're against Carolina. They're playing Carolina right now, and that's a competitive team. The Bruins will probably still make it through, but that leads us to our next point. If the Bruins make it through, on the other side of that bracket is either the Capitals or the Islanders. And yeah. the Islanders lead the Caps, you know, reigning Stanley Cup, sorry, Stanley Cup champions the year prior um, in 2018. They're leading that series 3-0. And no one could have really saw that coming. I mean, the Islanders were a competitive team, but to beat the Caps, that's still a very impressive. You know, you have um, TJ Oshie yeah. and you have the menace himself, Ovechkin. <laughs> It, I mean, the Caps are about to get sweep, swept. Yeah. Are the Islanders a threat? I mean, they're catching the they're catching the Caps off guard. So they have enough talent to rink where they can compete. This is another telltale. I think we should use what happens in hockey to determine how many big upsets we're going to have in like you know baseball and basketball. Maybe basketball, exactly. And, and, who knows what they do with football, which is the next point here. Preseason training camps are already going on in the NFL, and everyone's got their bubbles, right? Hockey's got their two bubbles in Toronto and Edmonton. Um, basketball is playing in Florida. Baseball's got their regional stuff. And here are the football guys and owners that come out and say, now we're playing the full season at the schedule uh, with fans across the nation, and we talked about the Patriots schedule a couple weeks ago, they have to go, I think they're playing all three California teams in California. So that's not good. What, what are we doing? What, did, did we just not catch up in the NFL? Did we forget about it? Or? And football is one of those sports where, and we mentioned this when baseball was getting rushed, that if they don't have proper training, there's going to be a lot of injuries. I know. Yeah. And, you know, today was the first day the Giants got pads and helmets on, um, but it still wasn't as, you know, as strenuous as it used to be. Because by now, we would have already had preseason games. And again, preseason games are, aren't really, you know, a huge factor. And you see injuries there, they were going to limit it anyway. But these guys didn't really have, I mean, it was a couple months, they couldn't even use their own facilities yeah. as a team. So you, you don't want to see injuries. I mean, for example, uh, McCoy, Gerald McCoy, who just signed with the Cowboys, a big three-year deal, he just blew up his his uh, his quad. First day of pads. And you already have a lot of guys opting out. I'm surprised he even had enough players field teams. You know, I mean, there's always that next man up mentality. That's what we were talking about with the Pats. Where, yeah. like, how many people are even going to show up? Like, the McCormies, they were if they weren't coming, then it might have been a force for that team. And then so many others, you know, so many other teams. And of course, it's it's the it's the commissioners that, from a public perspective, you just feel like they just don't get it. Manfred and Goodell. I mean, they're probably some of the most hated people in their respective sports, and they just cannot figure it out. So the question becomes, how long will it last? In my vote, it's not long. I know. I don't think it's fun. I mean, one thing I noticed, I was uh, talking to Chris Hanold, our hockey our hockey analyst, but he's he's a big Bills Bills fan, and he said. He, the Bills have the Rams coming to New York in week three, and then going to week four, they're heading to Vegas. Yeah, that's like, not And they want to allow fans. Like, how is that? That makes zero sense. Like, already on an aspect of, like, all of this traveling, I mean, you're going to have to have hyphen restrictions. And if you have a state that says, 
Like, for example, New York, California is on New York's list where it's like, if you come from California to New York, you're supposed to quarantine for 14 days. California has to be on everyone's list too right now. Yeah. So professional athlete or not, like, I mean, that's breaking the violation. I mean, again, you have to be honest and stuff, but that's as public as it could be. Yeah. You see those guys, those guys cannot, those guys literally have to go to the hotel. That's already a public place, so that's washed. It was supposed to be go to the hotel, go to the game, and that's it. So their food, food's going to have to be delivered to them. They're going to have to have, like, I, I don't know. Is that, is that no, it does last? I don't think it does. Unless yeah. they figure out a plan, I give it the month of September, and that's it. I, I think they, they could come up with an audible, but they're not going to. No, no. If it was someone else in charge, they probably would have come up with it. If it was Adam Silver running that league, he probably would have figured this out by now. Football is one of the biggest contact sports. Yeah. You know, I haven't heard anything about testing and shit compared to the other leagues oh. that have plans. One guy gets if you have a lineman, defensive lineman that has COVID, he's touching the offensive lineman, he's tackling anybody who has the ball, whether it's the running back, the quarterback, a slot receiver on the side. It's sweat, it's breathing, it's everything. I mean that that whole team's done. Yep. And again, Baseball, we're watching them adapt very fast. Uh, you know, the Cardinals only played like five or six games, but and those teams, those games got postponed as the other teams could have worked around the schedule because, again, you're only facing your uh, geographical conference, you'll say, the AL East and the NL East and so on. Football, it's all hopping around. Obviously, you have your division, but you're also playing another division that could be on the other side of the country. And... With baseball, you know, even though we have that shortened season of 60 games, football, there's only 16 games. Where are you going to fit that in? Yeah. And you need the week of training, or the week of practice, rather. Mm-hmm. So I just don't see it lasting, which is unfortunate. I don't think it will either. And that sucks. But that's football. Look for Cam Newton in his red hoodie again. That was cool to see Cam Newton. I did enjoy watching Cam Newton walk into the stadium today. He was throwing some good balls. Yeah. But one last point in sports, though, just in overall playoffs, because we just talked about how the Islanders getting hot and basketball playoffs are around the corner. Um, you know, you have the Lakers as heavy favorites, and you have – we'll just start from there. I mean, the Lakers are the heavy favorites, but you have a team like Portland who's hot. You know, they just came in with a mission. They are hot. Yeah. We talked well, about this – Dean Willard, right? Yeah, we talked about this a few weeks back. In this now, you know, modified tournament, whatever sport it is, whatever team catches that flame and catches that spark and rises with it is going to win the championship. I have the Lakers winning it all, but if Portland comes out with like a 2-0 lead, they could just upset the Lakers right off the bat and just keep going, you know? And that and that's the same side on the East, too. You have the Pacers. I mean, TJ Warren was averaging like 35 points a game. They make an upset right there and just ride. They could beat the Bucs, possibly. Who knows? Honestly, all these guys. It's the NBA is one of those sneaky sports where they, somebody could just get hot and win. It's like baseball. Yeah. You know? Usually, football the best team tends to win. Hockey the best team tends to win. But either of those two, it's like it's it, who knows. Yeah. Someone could just get real hot. I mean, could be anybody. Could be anybody. Portland's making a good case for themselves for sure. Um, that will do it for the first part of the show. Of course, the interview with Matt Wilson from Under 30 Experiences. Where we talk travel, we talk uh, starting a business, we talk his new book, The Millennial Travel Guidebook, which is available on Amazon today. You can go ahead and get your copy there. But without further ado, let's go into our interview with Matt Wilson. All right, folks, live with us down from Austin, Texas, on episode 18 of Beers, Business, and Balls, we have none other than Matt Wilson, Bryant University alumni, co-founder, or sorry, founder and CEO of Under 30 Experiences and newly published author author of the Millennial Travel uh, Guidebook. Matt, how you doing? Really well. Thank you very much. Yeah, co-founder. You had it right. (laughs) (laughs) So um, for those of you who don't know, Matt... As mentioned, graduated from Bryant, where we're from, proud alumni. Um, and to start it off, who is Matt Wilson? That is a tough question. Uh, but that's one of the reasons that I left my little 
bubble in New York and decided to go and, and travel. Or speaking of bubbles, you guys know what Bryant is like. I mean, that place is a, a bubble oh, yeah. to the T. Uh, so I want to discover who I really was and not just what our parents and teachers and government and society tell us that we should go and do and following that path. It's like, you know, when you, when you graduate from Bryant, you're supposed to have to be all buttoned up with your, uh, with your suit on and walk across the, the stage and you get that piece of paper that says you're, you're wicked smart. And uh, <laughs> then you go across the street to Fidelity and uh, yeah, you get your series six or seven or whatever and do, do that thing. But um, yeah, that just wasn't, just wasn't for me. And uh, so who is Matt Wilson? I guess going back to the original question, uh, like you said, in uh, business, I'm co-founder and CEO of Under 30 Experiences. We're a small group travel company for people ages 21 to 35. We go on uh, trips all over the world. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, anywhere from Costa Rica, where I lived for, geez, the last at least five years, uh, down to Peru and Machu Picchu, um, Thailand, Indonesia, all over Europe. Uh, obviously, if people are listening to this during coronavirus, we're taking a quick pause. Um, hopefully, this thing blows over soon. We know that it will, but we're also rolling out uh, trips to U.S. national parks as well. So, that's kind of on the business side, um, but personally, and my business and personal life do overlap uh, quite a bit because we've built a, a great community and a team of people who we really enjoy working with. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a traveler. Uh, I, love, I love sports as, as you guys do. Uh, I like to practice yoga. I love to work out. Um, I'm into martial arts. And uh, I recently became a husband and a father. So I got a lot going. Oh, and an author, right. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> so that who is Matt Wilson? I think that um, says a couple things. So, so Matt, you go to Bryant University, take us back to your, your college days, right? Um, you end up going to Bryant and you study business there just about like everyone else does at Bryant for sure. What did you want to be when you grew up? Was it, you know, I want to go to college and I want to get a degree and then go on and then whatever happens, happens? Or did you have a clear cut vision of what you wanted to do? What did I want to be when I grew up? Uh, I would say a billionaire was definitely uh, oh, that stuff. Before that, it was uh, an NBA player, right? Um, well, I stand here at five foot ten and a half, so that's uh, kind of out of reach. Um, although you are seeing these NBA players, right? Draymond Green said recently he was trying to become a billionaire by the time he was forty. I would say. Good. I, I actually like Draymond quite a bit, but uh, you know, there you're seeing a lot of this this crossover. People investing in tech companies and stuff like that. But yeah, I just wanted to to go into business, and that's what I cared about really. Um, and I got to Bryant, and I realized, oh, well, what if I want to start my own business? I don't necessarily want to, you know, climb the corporate ladder and that was not really available when I arrived on campus in 2004. Uh, I know that really dates me here, but um, we had a fireside chat with President Makeley and uh, Jack Welch, the CEO of General Electric. And he was there and he talked about entrepreneurship, um, God, like 10 times in a speech. And so, but there was no major, no minor, nothing. There was no programming. There was nothing for entrepreneurs. There was hardly the, the uh, Collegiate Entrepreneurs Organization. And so, you know, I actually got up to the microphone. Uh, I can kind of do the impression on video. And I was like, oh, excuse me, uh, Mr. Welch, sir, uh, as an 18-year-old freshman, like you touched on entrepreneurship five times. What do you think about Bryant having an entrepreneurship major? Can we study this in the classroom? And there is video somewhere in the archives of Makeley actually rolling his eyes. And then, you know, he started to change his, his tune after a while, but it was really a student 
run uh, movement to bring entrepreneurship to a, well, honestly, a very corporate campus. And so, yeah, we started this chapter of, of CEO, the Collegiate Entrepreneurs Organization, and um, we ended up petitioning to get the major and minor. And it was just a really cool uh, community. And I was surrounded by all these smart, young, innovative, passionate people. It was a lot of fun. And as the smart, innovative, and passionate people, there's a lot that come to mind in the CEO family for sure. But I believe you were in the days of Brian Morell and, and all those folks. Um, you were in good company, I'll put it that way. Um, as the president of CEO, you know, in this transformative time where there's an entrepreneurship program budding, there's more interest being buzzed around, what do you think your biggest takeaways from that experience were that made you who you are today? And, you know, maybe in the leadership aspect, in the entrepreneurship aspect, what do you think you learned that's helping you out in the present day? That's a really good question. And I would say for people who are uh, possibly still in college or just graduating and trying to build their, their resume, right? But more than a resume, just your life experience. As you said, what did I learn? Um, and that was, a, I got to learn about people and I got to learn about managing people. We grew, you know, we had this uh, keyboard of however many people, eight, 10, 12 people. And, um, you know, there were geez, close to at least 100 members, I, I would say, of the actual organization. And we put on all of these events. And uh, some of them, you know, they were, they got pretty, they got pretty big, actually. The, I don't know if they were, are still doing the elevator pitch competitions. But uh, yeah, our class, uh, like you said, with Brian Morell, he was our, my first vice president. I was president for two years. He was the, the first. Um, and yeah, we started this elevator pitch competition. We went to the Business 101 professors and said, hey, can we work with you guys uh, and make this mandatory for, for the freshmen who are coming in who are already writing these business plans? And so it just gave me real world experience on how to make things happen. Um, I got to learn about bureaucracy in academia and the university and how I really wanted to, you know, just comparing that with kind of my life in, in Costa Rica, where there were no, there seemed to be no rules. Um, it's, yeah, it, it's just really interesting how we learn so much uh, just about how the world works, especially when you're young and, and making stuff happen and growing the confidence to be able to say, oh yeah, we built something. And so tra that translated directly into building a company. Was there anyone at Brian, I know you just touched upon how uh, talking to uh, the CEO, Jack Welch, during that fireside chat kind of sparked that entrepreneurial mindset from Brian, but was there anybody at the school that inspired you or you had as a mentor um, while you were younger and then, you know, you took those ideas and concepts and brought them into your postgraduate life? I mean, the first person that comes to my mind, of course, is Mike Roberto. I don't know if if Mike is still your uh, advisor for the CEO chapter, but he, I mean, just amazing guy uh, from from Harvard that they they hired down to Bryant and uh, author of some incredible books. And so he came, he arrived on campus. I don't know, probably 2006, 2007, sometime in there. And um, I'd heard about this guy who was Harvard undergrad, MBA, PhD, teacher of the year at Harvard. And then he came to Bryant. And I was like, well, I should probably try to get to know this guy. <laughs> and uh, so I just went to him. And um, as, as Mike tells the story, I kind of cornered him in his office. And I was like, hey, you really need to be our advisor for the <laughs> entrepreneurs organization and he kind of said no or he didn't really know he was new on campus he you know he wasn't ready to take on leadership roles and we kind of kept kept on him and um but he's just been someone i've i've kept in touch with and uh, i've seen him back on on campus i saw him in the south of france he had a, a group of students out there uh for a summer and so i got to spend a little time with him and his family. Um, yeah, I feel like he's just someone who I, I'm always seeing pop up. And uh, yeah, so I, I would love to, to uh, 
come back uh, when I'm back in the Northeast, hopefully this fall, and, and catch up with that guy, that's for sure. Awesome. Yeah, we had Mike Roberto for um, the design thinking class our senior, and we knew him throughout college, and he is just one of the best and brightest that Brian has, and we were very fortunate to be able to connect with him, so that's awesome to hear that uh, when he first came on campus, he made an impact in yours because he definitely made an impact in our life. So you graduate, Brian. How does explain the birth of under 30 and its different entities? So like, what did you do right after school and explain the creation of your companies? Sure. So uh, for under the under 30 brand, under 30 CEO. So uh, it's, it's kind of funny. I've never explained it to anyone like this, but we had this group CEO, the Collegiate Entrepreneurs Organization, and I was back home in Poughkeepsie, New York uh, with one of my really good friends, Jared O'Toole, uh, who was a, a friend from, from high school, well, fourth grade, actually. And we were really missing that. Uh, yeah, we were just kind of missing that college environment. And we wanted to live home uh, with our parents to be able to start our own businesses, live cheaply, figure we really knew we wanted to do something online where we didn't have to show up to the office every day. And uh, to come up with this community, we wanted to build a community of young people trying to start businesses because we're really lacking that back in our hometowns. And so we basically just took what we were doing at school, CEO, and put the words just extended. It's, it was no longer about collegiate. It was about uh, under being under 30 years old, which I am no longer under 30 years old. So, uh, but when you're 22 and you're drinking Miller Lights on your front porch and it's you know probably two o'clock in the morning and you come up with this great business idea for this community, uh, yeah, we we named it Under 30. And so, um, yeah, Under 30 CEO was a media site that published news, advice, interviews, articles. For, for young people starting businesses. It still exists today at under30ceo.com, uh, although Jared and I sold it in 2016 and uh, started focusing on under 30 experiences, which was, were originally retreats for entrepreneurs. And then everybody started asking us like, do we have to be under 30? Do we have to be a CEO? What's the deal? Uh, can I just come to Iceland? Because what you guys are doing looks really fun. And the feedback from our groups was, hey, we didn't really need to sit down and have any type of formal business programming. We just wanted to hang out and organically build relationships uh, in these cool places that we we're bringing people, Costa Rica, um, Iceland, et cetera. And so it just kind of took off from there. If people were willing to give us money to do something. It was a good, uh, it was a very good, indicator of, that we had product market fit. So it took off. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about your new book, uh, the Millennial Travel Guidebook, available, I believe, on Amazon and pretty much everywhere where you can buy books at this point. Um, we'll, we'll dive into that in a quick second. But you have made a name for yourself and your career in travel, right? That, that's your endeavor, uh, you know, at this point in your life. You know, you've shifted drastically to the travel world. Um, why travel? And why is that so important to you uh, that you've essentially made it your life mission? Yeah, I mean, I just, I was in New York, right? So after, I guess, continuing the story after living in Poughkeepsie, and then we finally got, uh, got our act together and started making positive cash flow and, and uh, built a profitable business uh, up to six figures where then we could actually afford to live off this full time. <laughs> I went to New York City because, right, that's where you're supposed to make it big. And it, to me, it was, it was kind of empty. It was kind of, it was, it's so superficial. Um, and it just wasn't me. Yeah, I just, it, it was cool. We were really, uh, had this amazing network of venture capitalists and uh, startup founders and all this stuff. But it just, it left something to be desired. I was having the same conversations at the same bars with the same people uh, and, you know, caught up in the dating scene in New York and just, I don't know, I just wanted to do something different and um, got invited on a trip to Iceland and that just changed everything 
for me. And I was like, whoa, I can go and meet people that are, again, New York is quite a bubble. And um, yeah, I just got to, to meet people from different cultures, seeing and experiencing a new way of, uh, of life, of living. It, when you travel, you get to reflect and take a step back and say, is this really how, do I really want to live my life in, in the normal conventional way or is there a different path? And it's been definitely a difficult one uh, because that path was not forged out uh, in, in front of me and I was just trying to figure it out on my own. But travel has just been the, like, I love Brian and everything, but I've learned so much more traveling than I ever did uh, at, you know, in a classroom that, uh, yeah, it's even hard to put into words. Plus, I've spent way less money traveling than I did on a, uh, you know, top-notch education. So, and, and now I've made a lot of money traveling. Uh, and that's, yeah, I mean, for what good is my college education? I mean, it was a great, and it was more life experience than anything. And sure, management degree has been uh, excellent, right? I, I still think of uh, some of those courses sometimes, but traveling has been absolutely the best education. And you pretty much answered the question of like the importance of travel, especially in our age demographic. And you make a good tra uh, transition point about how you learned how to travel affordably, which, you know, that might be a fear to some people on why they can't travel, you know, take COVID aside. It was kind of like, oh, I can't go to these places because it's expensive. But you have your new book, the Millennial Travel Guidebook. And one of the big things is that mentions right on the cover is talking about that affordable travel, you know, spend less to travel more. Uh, without giving any spoilers, what should uh, the readers be taking away uh, from reading this book? What lessons kind of do you pinpoint in this book that are very important to the reader? Yeah, no, I'm happy to, uh, to give it all away. You know, I, it's, it's important that, um, especially people who are in the, the demographic that are listening to this really get that you don't have to be a millionaire to travel the world. And, um, when I first started traveling, my salary that I was taking from my business because we were investing most of the profits back into the business, of course, was $36,000 a year, right? So I had three grand a month to play with. And that's, you know, that's not going to take you far. That is a, shit, a shitty salary in New York City. But to be able to travel through Central America and Southeast Asia, I mean, you can live like a king. So that was that was just amazing epiphany for me. But the book starts off um, kind of conquering your fears and because to go, whether it's starting business or whether it's going out and travel or just do something unconventional, you gotta, uh, yeah, you just really have to, to put that fear aside. So we start there and then talk about time and money and how you're spending your time and how you're spending your money because most of us, we graduate and first thing people do is uh, upgrade their car and, you know, you got to have a car payment unless you got cash for that. But who does after you just graduated <laughs> from school and put yourselves in how, you know, however much debt. Um, for me, it was like $25,000, which is not bad compared to what other people are going into debt for their educations for. And um yeah, so then, the, but the book does get uh, very practical quickly, and it's how to find the best deals on flights, how to find the best deals on accommodations, um, you know, even down to the granular, what you really need to pack. And uh, you don't want to be carrying tons and tons of stuff all over the world because it just doesn't serve you. And uh, plus, it, you know, if you're traveling off the beaten path, you don't want your stuff stolen or uh, lose it or you go on some adventure you get your stuff wet and then it's ruined so uh, yeah the book just goes into all sorts of travel tips but ways that people can do these things on a budget and even if you're listening to this and you're go and you do go on a trip um 
that's, you know, or, or sorry, that you do have a job and you're like, well, I'm not just going to take off six months and go travel. That's okay because if you spend your money the right way while you're at home, you know, living with your parents or living with the roommates or just spend below your means, you don't need to live in the city center, especially as so many people are working remotely now, then you can go and afford to go on two, three, four trips a year. So a lot of it's about not just tactical, how you set up, how you actually travel. Uh, it's also about how to set up your life so you can travel. And on the topic of the book as well, and your personal experience with the book, right? Kind of a twofold question here. So what inspired you to, to put all of this, this knowledge that you've intake or, or have collected over the years, I should say, into a book? And I guess the this sub question of that is, did you ever think that Matt Wilson's name would be the author on that book? Okay, so to answer your second question first, short answer is yes. I did picture myself, you know, I like to like to daydream, I like to visualize. I am a dreamer and entrepreneurs are, are dreamers who then put their dreams, their visions and make them into reality. So I always knew that I would write a book, multiple books, um, and I, I always wanted to do that. But how, again, we talked about product market fit earlier and you know, you can write a book, but most people write it and then it sits in their desk drawer or nobody reads it or they, they have so much trouble finding their audience. And because we already, you know, have a really nice built-in audience of people who have spent thousands of dollars with us for trips, um, I knew that they would want to buy something that was just 99 cents and that answered all of their questions right and and of course it's 99 cents right now but you know you can get the 15 dollars book and hardcover audible etc um but i just got asked so many questions over the years like how are you how are you doing this how did like one year i decided to live in the center of paris and then you know i really love to surf and and be in costa rica and so i i got to do all these things that most, you know, learn Spanish or, um, or surf or, or whatever. And all of these things are things that most people that are, are living the, the normal lifestyle don't get to actually do. And so people would ask me these questions and I just started saying, I, sometimes I would uh, write blog posts about them, but then it just hit me. I went to Hawaii to do a, a keynote presentation over there at a travel conference and, um, I was on Waikiki Beach and I said, okay, just kind of hit me. Here's the book that I needed to write. I outlined it all sitting there by the pool and um, from there made the proposal and uh, just started writing. That's awesome. And we definitely can't wait to get a copy of ours because we love traveling. I worked in the travel industry and, you know, going back to your point, you learned so much just from experiencing not only the culture and the history, but like the people and the conversations and the food. So uh, we're excited to read that. Going back to under 30 experiences, how have you adapted your company and business model during this pandemic? Yeah, so I think I mentioned uh, earlier that we started to run domestic trips. So international travel is shut down. Um, nobody will accept a U.S. passport right now outside of Mexico is open right now. And, and just put a time stamp, uh, if you guys don't mind, we're speaking on August 17th, 2020. So but this fall, right, a lot of uh, most places have flattened the curve uh, on you know, on COVID-19 and the U.S., right, speaking internationally, the U.S. has lagged behind that. Uh, they're New York and we don't have to get into all the COVID details, uh, right? But it's, we're kind of approaching this time where the coast is kind of clear and it's just going to be the new normal. People are just going to wear masks. We're going to see people wearing masks for years, I bet. Um, it's going to be part of, you know, germophobia is going to be a real big thing going forward. And so, um, but how do people get out? Because we can't stay in our house, houses forever. How do we still have a community? 
and um, how do small businesses get back to work, right? We have all the, you know, the worst part about this is all these people from humble little communities in Indonesia and Thailand and Costa Rica, Peru, um, all these people are without jobs right now and they depended on under 30 experiences. And while we can't go there uh, at the moment, we want to keep our, our community engaged. And so uh, we do have national park trips uh, that are coming out. So we're excited about that. A lot of those are gonna run into winter uh, into and into 2021. And doing our best because we, we want to be extremely careful, uh, of, co of course, with the coronavirus and its spread, and we do not want to contribute that um, to that, but we need to, you know, so we need to be respectful and wear masks and disinfect our vehicles, and um, we have a, you know, very extensive safety protocol, temperature checks, and all this stuff, and you're going to see that all around the world as we continue to go back to normal. So, uh, yeah, we had to have layoffs and furloughs and all this stuff in our company and apply for the government loans. And it was a, it's been a nightmare to be honest. Um, but we're trying to make the best out of this. Hopefully the domestic stuff, uh, rebounds and, um, hopefully in a few years, we're looking at this and saying, wow, this was really a blessing in disguise. Although it's, it's difficult uh, sometimes to see the silver lining. Shifting now to kind of some closing questions, if you will. We'll, we'll go pretty quickly on these. Um, during basically in all of your travel journeys, what do you think is one place or a memory that sticks out to you that um, whenever anyone asks you about your experiences that you always get? I know you mentioned Iceland was your, your first big um, you know, travel commitment and experience, but is there any other thing that comes to mind that you're like, that's, that's the one. I mean, really the, the whole, because you guys are focused on business, I guess I'll share that it, the details of that impetus of under 30 experiences. And we were right there in Iceland and, or I went on a solo trip to Iceland and met this guy Siggy out there, his Icelandic mountain guide, and he had started his business in uh, 2010 when the uh, volcano erupted that stopped all the air traffic between North America and Europe. And so we actually went to that volcano, um, actually back on the Siggy point, he was a mountain guide there, or he was on the rescue team rather. And the BBC came and literally knocked on his door because somebody said, Oh, Siggy goes up on that volcano all the time. He could probably tell you some things. Like when the reporters came there to, to check out the news story, people would literally knock on his door and say, hey, what's, what's, go, what's going on up that uh, volcano? And he said, oh, I'll, I'll take you up there. It's, it's fairly safe. And um, so he took me up there. So that's how his business started. And then he took me up there and he has this uh, tradition of, smoking a cigar and having a scotch on top of every mountain that he summits and uh so we were sitting up there hanging out and the sun was going down at about 11 p.m um you know really late there in iceland because it's so far north and uh we just started talking about like hey you know this is still when i was in my new york bubble and i love the outdoors there's nothing better than that. I'd rather be in the real jungle than in the concrete jungle. And um, yeah, so we just had this conversation and he was trying to attract more Americans to come over to Iceland. And I, you know, had this, uh, this website under 30 CEO and he was very entrepreneurial minded as well. And I said, yeah, I bet we could do a retreat together. And so this, for me, the inspiration that you get from traveling are all the amazing places that I got to write this book. Those are the things that uh, inspire me. We, we say a lot, it's not about what you do on your travels, it's how travel changes you and how you go out there and uh, what you do next. And so to me, it was the best decision of my life. And um, yeah, that, that really pops out at me as, uh, as one of the best uh, travel memories. So more on the advice side, 
I guess the first thing we'll ask is what is the best travel advice you could give to somebody? And then I'll ask another question right after that. Best travel advice is go. Do not, do not hesitate. Um, just book it, honestly. Just, just figure it out. And the rest, um, and, and the book goes into then, okay, how to book your flights or you know, just go sign up for a trip or make that commitment. Uh, book the Airbnb, whatever you want to do. And, and go solo. Go alone. You learn so much in solitude. Um, I love traveling alone. I really like to, I'm, I'm an extrovert at, uh, by nature, but I like doing things. I like solo pursuits quite a lot because you get to be alone with your thoughts. And especially when you go on a long trip, you just get to be by yourself and, um, you know, you make the, you make all the decisions, you call all the shots. And, uh, yeah, so I would just say, just go and worry about the nuts and bolts later. Perfect. Yeah. And then knowing what you know now and looking back to that, you know, that 18 year old that asked Jack Welch the question up on stage to uh, who you are today, what is a piece of advice you can give to young entrepreneurs who are either still in college, might not be in school, just graduated and looking for that next leap of faith? Wow. Uh, I hate to reuse my answer, right? But the same <laughs> applies for starting a business or, you know, asking the girl out or, or whatever it is, right? Like I never would have met my wife if I didn't go up to her after this yoga class. And, uh, you know, I, I should have no shot with her, but I got lucky, I guess. Um, and that's the, that's the cool thing about life is if you, if you take the risks, if you can always go back and the, the corporate ladder or the common path or whatever, that will be there. And, you can find your way back into that. And if you do go back and people are like, oh, would you try to start this business and you failed? Or, oh, you went and you took two years off to travel. What's wrong with you? You probably don't want that job anyway. So it's when you have things outside of work to talk about and to connect with people about, that's where you're able to build relationships and you're able to make a connection with someone because otherwise uh, otherwise it's just like oh okay you're just a, a name on a resume and that's it but love what you guys are doing starting your own podcast it's um, yeah it's, it's pretty amazing it's and it's something you guys can talk about for years to come yeah for sure um, ladies and gentlemen Matt Wilson uh, Matt thank you so much for joining us of course the author of the millennial travel guidebook Escape more, spend less, and make travel a priority in your life. It's available on Amazon as we speak. Matt, if you have any promo plugs for our listeners to, to engage with you and the content that you produce, now is the time. All right. Uh, well, you guys already know millennialtravelguidebook.com or on Amazon. So I would love for people to check out the book. But if they want to come on a trip with Under 30 Experiences, check it out, under30experiences.com. And uh, if anybody wants to engage with me personally, uh, probably Instagram would be the best place uh, to do that, Matt Wilson TV. And uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from your, your listeners. Perfect. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Matt. We appreciate it. And again, check, out, check him out on the socials and order the book. Matt, take it easy. Thank you. Thank you guys. That was just Matt Wilson, again, co-founder and CEO of Under 30 Experiences, author of the Millennial Travel Guidebook. Awesome interview. I mean, it's really great. We keep finding all these amazing guests. And for those of who are following at home, that's our third person in Austin. Um, a lot of talent down there brewing. It must be something in the water. <laughs> but... It's also great to see a Brian alumni, uh, one, connecting with other Brian grads, and two, just kicking ass. Yeah, he's, um, he's been just so far from the normal cut of a person that, like, it was almost a no-brainer to, to have him on the show. He's a good, real good guy, and I think he's genuinely invested in everyone around him, too. So, yeah, those are good traits to have, and not to mention, he's done really good stuff, too. A lot of people can't back it up, but. The man has really done a lot of good stuff in his life already. He just had a kid. Uh, you know, he's married. Good for him. Good for him. So, positivity corner. Let's hop right into it.
Yes. Yeah, so again, in the spirit of travel, as we've mentioned on the show, um, and some of our favorite things, beer. Unsold beer from Australia's lockdown is creating renewable energy. So when the bars and restaurants and breweries closed down in March because of the pandemic, um, a lot of beer went stale. Uh, ales haven't gone to waste though. They turned it into renewable energy, enough power to um, enough power to generate electricity and heat and air conditioning for over 1,200 homes in less than a month. In southern Australia, almost 40,000 gallons of expired beer has been donated every week to a local water treatment. That beer is converted into biogas, which then gets used to electricity to power the plant and then again power all the homes. Um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, 654 megawatt hours a month. That's really good for beer. Yeah. So they're using beer. Yeah, organic industrial waste with sewage sludge. And then that's that's wild. And beer is powering it. That's absolutely crazy. So I mean, they're putting their beer to good use, not in people's mouths, but exactly. Can't drink it. Do something good with it. It's like that guy in, in England that I don't know where I heard this. They were taking bread from like that was unused from bakeries and stuff, and they were taking crumbs and making beer with it. They were making like lagers with it. So got to be resourceful. I, yeah, they did really well. They were donating profits to like refugees and all this stuff. So it's this is good. This is really good. That's our show. I uh, hope you enjoyed Matt Wilson. Uh, the blog is live, as you know. Uh, I was forged for my Gary Sanchez take, but please degrade me some more. I need it. Uh, House-enterprise.com slash v-blog, right? Slash v-blog. Um, we've got a lot of good stuff. We've added uh, James Moss, otherwise known as Clubfoot Jim on Twitter. And we've also added a, uh, right now, he's on the website, a Mystery Brian alumni, so I'll, I'll wait until the headshot's up. Um, we're, we're adding writers to cover pretty much everything. Reach out to us if you want to cover something as well. Because uh, we, we've got some, some gaps. We could use some beats for it. Um, which will be really nice. And uh, again, dugoutcreative.com is the place that you need to go for concept merch. Use the code BBBPOD to go get some really fresch stuff. I know, Will, you just bought that Bronx jersey. That looked really cool. Or was it the shirt? Yeah, the shirt. Or the shirt. Yeah. So excited to team up with those guys. Uh, you know where to find us on social. We say it every time. Did we forget anything? I think that's it. We have another great guest um, back in the sports world. So keep an eye out for some details dropping with that. But other than that, I mean, have a great week, everybody. So that's our show. Again, you know where to find us. Brought to you by Anchor and Dugout Creative. That's Will. I'm Jake. So long, folks. Take it easy.